0: Welcome to Thug Crowd Radio. Please listen to this important disclaimer in its entirety. All participants of this Thug Crowd Radio episode are characters. None of the stories told during these episodes are based on facts, truth, or reality. All works of fiction displayed during this episode that resemble real-life situations are coincidental and are not meant to serve as guides or tutorials to commit any crimes in any country. Please consult an attorney for local laws and regulations. And as always, trust your inner criminal.
1: Hey. Hello the Hi. children.
2: Hi. What's up?
1: Same I was making sure there
2: was a weird echo. I heard the music, but I think it was just oh, the, yeah. me screwing it up here. Know, good? I don't
3: know. We're, good, but, we're uh, good.
4: If you could help me with a new method to uh, to hack Gmails, because uh, <laughs> I've the HTMLs, but...
2: Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> that, that method is old, uh, the one that you were using, and I oh. suggest that you Learn Google uh, DNS rejacking and um, oh, God. You might do a new thing or two about um, how to exploit uh, every social media account.
5: Yeah, it helps <laughs> it replaces the whole coding HTML thing.
2: Yeah, no, don't do that. So,
0: that's, that's old school.
2: OK, that's old uh, school.
0: <laughs> it's all about this DNS rejacking.
2: Rejacking, man. That's where it goes. <laughs> so, hello, everybody. Welcome uh, to uh, Thumb Crowd, episode four of season two. Nice. Uh, how was everybody doing? Good.
3: Real good. good.
2: Tired. <laughs> tired, huh? We are really
1: retired. I was tired yesterday, and I'm tired again today.
5: Had to do a, a non-defcon related Vegas trip. So Ooh. sorry. And uh, all of the had to be a DJ for like three straight days, and it was it really took it out of me. <laughs> Anyone else do uh, fun stuff this weekend?
1: Uh, work and what is it? Uh, decoded a bunch of uh, Chinese Apple phishing pages and got uh, got a shout out by some like security researcher that I follow.
2: That's sick. Nice. Very fun. Yeah, that's the answer to that stuff that you were doing. is awesome.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it
5: uh, yeah. Is, uh, it's real fun work
1: yeah some security the security researcher was like hey this guy does some great work hire this guy
4: i agree (laughs) oh yeah yeah. i uh i finally knocked off this challenge on uh that i'd been left lying around on pentester lab that was uh uh, private key recovery from uh ecdsa and uh yeah that was that was very painful because i'm not fantastic at Math, specifically cryptography. Cryptography is actually hard. Um, yeah. And shouts to RQ for looking at my math and telling me that it's the wrong operator. You dickhead. <laughs>
5: You're using the wrong maths.
4: That is the wrong maths that is not going to solve the problem. Like, oh, okay, sweet. That's oh, fine. God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Maths. i saw something where it's like why do why do british people call it maths it's like well because it was called
5: mathematics like
2: (laughs) oh that's actually cool i didn't know
5: that yeah that is uh that's good good bombshell right there
1: (laughs) well it, it, it was it was mostly like some joke between like uh like British and Amer and Americans, so it's like Americans, like her, her. It's called math, and it's like, and the British person's like, Oh, uh, uh, no, it's maths because it's mathematics.
4: Uh, I, I like oh. my favorite is uh, aluminium, or aluminum, as Americans would call it.
2: Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah a lot of uh, good ways to uh, detect where somebody's from. Well,
4: yep. What's funny though is uh, in Australia, nobody gives a shit. Well, I mean, we say aluminium, but generally, everyone's from everywhere, so we know
2: what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I want to do a quick announcement um, while we are starting out here. So we're doing. uh, We've been we've been toying with this idea for a bit, and we are gonna just kind of go with it, I guess, because we've been (laughs) we've all been talking about it a bunch. So I guess we just put it out there now. So we're gonna be doing um, the If you guys remember last year, we did the charity stream for extra life, which is a, uh, a charity for children's miracle hospital network and they they do a bunch of really cool stuff, um, helping, you know, kids with diseases. (laughs) It's just, it's just a very good, it's a, it's a good thing for, for helping infrastructure of, uh of an important organization. And so last year we raised uh, over $3,000 and we all just sort of streamed different uh, CTF challenges and we let everybody in the chat, um, you know, hack a server through Twitch chat, which was a lot of fun.
1: Um, Oh, I saw that.
2: Yeah, no, it was a a really fun time. So this year we're gonna be doing something a little bit different, but we're gonna be doing the same um, charity work again. We're gonna be doing an IoT CTF. So what that is, is it's going to be Essentially, um, it's going to be some teams that are going to be able to have a C two and, and try to hack as many uh, vulnerable like uh, IoT or ICS devices that we can emulate in uh, a virtual network uh, in a twenty four hour period of time. We'll have some other interactive stuff as well um, for players or people in the in the chat, um, but we'll be streaming that. It'll be a death match of who can. Uh, take over the most uh, vulnerable devices and um, pretty much everything is in scope as long as it's within the VPC Besides DDoSing because that's annoying, but uh, it should be a lot of fun um, We'll have more details on it But we, we really need to uh, kind of hash it out with some people um, who would want to talk with us about it so basically we need people that are competent with um like Terraform and Ansible for provisioning infrastructure, um, we're gonna try to we're gonna try try to work with an AWS and hopefully not get some seasoned Um uh, Maybe oh they boy. can give us a little bit of a break here.
0: Add um, it to the collection.
2: But <laughs> we'll, we'll need <laughs> an, an infrastructure team. So if you are somebody who is super into uh, you know Terraform, Ansible, um, you know CloudFormation, any sort of like uh, infrastructure stuff where you're provisioning um, massive amounts of nodes very quickly. Um, and uh, effectively we need you um, to help us volunteer stuff. Um, We also need people who are competent at working with um, virtualization and containers. So if you are into Docker and QMU um, and just containerizing everything, uh, we really need you for the virtualization team um, because we're gonna be virtualizing some vulnerable firmware images and storing them in um, or running them in Docker containers um, for people to hack. And then we also need people who are competent with working with um, with code, uh, both Go and C, um, to help us work on um, the C2 servers as well as the bot agents and the infrastructure of how the bots are gonna connect back to the game server. So we have a big plan of how this is gonna go out, but if you are interested in helping out with this, just DM at thugcrowd on Twitter, and we can um, invite you to our chat about this trying to make it a more structured thing. Um, we're going to need a lot of people to help because there's a lot of stuff that's going to go into it. Um, but we should be able to get uh, I think a good amount of buy-in from people. And um, it definitely be interesting for for researchers and people who want to see how people actually develop exploits on IoT and uh, ICS devices um, and who We'll, we'll give that. It, it'll, it'll be interesting for those researchers as well as anybody who actually wanted to like hit the scary-looking PLC they found on Shodan, but never actually want to touch it in real life. Uh, now's your chance. So we'll uh, have information about registering as a team. But right now we just need people to help with the uh, infrastructure part. So again, at Thug Crowd, we need infra, virtual division, and uh, low-level bot teams. So thanks. Um. That's my big announcement for the
5: day, I guess. Uh, <laughs> anybody have any questions on this? I just want to say I think it's going to be
6: pretty awesome. That's, we'll that's, really, that's really cool of you guys.
4: I think it's going to be fun being able to uh, hit those ICS boxes or hit those those firmwares and uh, have it hard crash and go into what would normally be an unrecoverable state and, uh, and continue, which is one of the reasons why you <laughs> don't, don't touch those things because they break real easy.
2: They do break very easily. I mean, Uh, it's definitely going to be a good opportunity for people to play around with stuff that they normally would never want to play around
4: with. I mean, I definitely always want to play around with it. I just shouldn't.
2: So, yeah. (laughs) Correct. That's more what I mean, is you don't want to touch it. Please don't touch anything like that in real life. But Mm -hmm. we know a lot about what people are doing with it and want to be able to understand it and let people sort of, uh, you know, let the put their hair down just uh (laughs) skin
4: it up also if you uh if you're having problems with the challenge you will be able to donate anyway
2: yes so we'll have we'll have more stuff like that too as far as infrastructure for interacting with the chat and also you know maybe potentially buying a a hint might have a black market of exploits who knows (laughs) but we'll see um you know we're we're gonna have to virtualize hack forums too this is crazy uh, oh, jeez. All right. Um yeah, let's get into the news. So, um, I'm sure everybody here has their thing here. Uh, this is the U.S. Department of Thug uh, has kindly given us some of their infrastructure for um, posting our news Our news this week. Um, yeah, so us uh, get right into it. So, um, the first one here is pretty uh, interesting. And this headline, I wasn't exactly sure because it's more of like a thing, but it's, uh, I guess, being actually used. And it's being used also by stuff in our, uh, they called similarly in the Goodreads um, research by uh, Amit. Um, yes, yeah, people have figured out a way to um, spoof uh, wireless emergency alerts, um, which can send out AMBER alerts, presidential alerts, and uh, other sorts of um, extreme safety uh, alerts to uh phones that are next to the tower. Um
4: I mean the the thing that got me about this is like the, the headline is super clickbaity. It's like it sends it out to quick-baity. a stadium. Yeah, and you read yeah. through it and it's like, no, they sent it to like a couple of devices and it's like caged and whatever. Um yep. the other thing is because it's caged is probably one of the reasons why it actually falls back to this system, which is uh CMAS like um commercial mobile alert system. Um mm-hmm. And it's, it's meant for like three things, like uh, alerts issued by the, the president or higher authority of a geolocation. So, um, and then for imminent threats to safety or life. So I guess if there's a fire, if you know, if you're in California and you are surrounded by fire, they can send you a thing that says, Hey, you're surrounded by fire. If you didn't notice. Um, and then Amber alerts or child abduction emergencies, which is interesting because that's when uh, I guess it can sort of go like. Not so much sending out messages say, "Hey, there's a nuke coming," um, but messages like, uh, "You know, look out for this person" or something, something like that. Which, um, based on like as a, being a proximity-based attack, I guess it's uh, we you you know, manipulate environments in the immediate vicinity. I guess.
2: Um, Plasma brings up something I'm not familiar with. Um... He says, don't towers have a P2P system for EAS? Uh, I think if a tower misbroadcasts, others will repeat it.
4: Uh, for this I, think, I, don't know. I think this system as well, I'm not sure if CMS actually is targeted from its direct proximity or if it actually, or if it will propagate. And the other thing is, I'm not sure that, uh, it doesn't actually specify if the, if the devices were connected to the peered towers because uh, like the peered cells because they were doing it in a cage which is why i speculate you know the cage causing the fallback but um yeah yeah i don't
2: know i'm not a sure um oh yeah it's definitely interesting though to see this sort of stuff just coming out um yeah continue to come out because lte and other things like this are standards that are difficult to change in, at scale. So if you do find a bug or some way to spoof and do different attacks on LTE networks, um, they'll be there for a bit.
4: Yeah, it also wasn't 100% success rate either is what they found, but it was pretty high. It was like in the 90s, I believe. Yeah. So that, that's pretty good. That's, you know, if um, if everyone around you gets an alert message and you don't, you start to just go, well, like I, I guess the 10 people around me got it yeah they'll tell you <laughs>
1: yeah presidential alerts. what could possibly go wrong
2: i i love those um it just reminded me of those like when when trump sent out the presidential alert like a few months ago and all of like the the ones that were just like you up and just a presidential <laughs> alert. it's like what's gonna happen it's gonna be like yeah send like, nude. like
4: is anyone N- up N- nbhnc
2: yes <laughs> <laughs>
4: Um, yeah, it could be interesting though. I think, uh, if, say you could perform this on a red team engagement and you're in a building that was shielded. So there's, you know, if you're in one of those buildings that doesn't have, uh, the the LTEs inside, um, and you did take in a femto and and sent this kind of thing out, you know, you can send out a message, for example, like everyone has to evacuate the building or whatever, Mm -hmm. um, which would make things a lot easier for you because nobody's in the building while you are. So I mean there's there's different ways that this could be used for uh legitimate engagements
2: as opposed it's to tactical just... posting yeah. yeah. Yeah it's, it's worth tactical. noting
5: uh also that in the paper, in like in the abstract, they say that they used like commercially available SDRs, uh they modified open source like uh libraries, and uh that the fifty thousand mark was um reached with four different base stations
0: yeah
4: it was
5: had. either like a usurp or a blade rf which yeah yeah
4: yeah your blade rf would be my guess i mean they're pretty cheap
5: i um, think they mentioned usurps but blade rf would be like the cheap way for full duplex
4: yeah about 600 bucks and it does LTE uh, with onboard fpga and stuff it's pretty good just yeah. in case anybody wanted to build their own femtos for
2: legitimate purposes <clears throat> Hell yeah. Um, speaking of building your own things, uh, this Raspberry Pi that was used to hack NASA Um, pretty cool. <laughs> Not just. Oh so boy. Yeah. Has an absurd amount of ads, and all the ads on the page are all the same exact ad. I have a left and right sidebar ad, a giant top ad, and then a, a, like a sub, like a, it's like half the page is another ad, and it's all for the same thing. And there's a bottom banner ad and it has the same thing on it as well. It's absolutely unacceptable. And <laughs> <Now> that, <laughs> that ad is for Dollar VPN Club. Yes. <laughs> <for, laughs>
0: free. <Well, yeah>, <laughs> to Dollar
2: VPN Club real quick. Um, they were suspended, Dollar <laughs> VPN Club, uh, our, our beloved sponsor, by Twitter for copyright infringement. So, oh. yeah.
5: Damn. <laughs> oh, so don't think of, like, nobody start any other dollar clubs. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, I mean, can it only do. be
4: one dollar club.
2: <laughs> you know it was want. weird because I saw that the uh, Dollar Shave Club followed Dollar VPN Club, and then like two days later, they were just banned.
6: I think that's you know called what? stalking. That's cyber stalking.
2: What yeah, <laughs> do you mean, a $2 VPN
0: Club? Would that be copyright infringement?
2: You know God. what? I think
6: that there, there are a lot of L's
2: in Dollar VPN Club that can be masqueraded as I, or I's that can be masqueraded as L's. So I think that it can realistically never stop
4: yeah so, i think uh I, I don't know i think it's uh there should be a fight to the death for uh, all copyright infringement cases like or you know patent. whoever holds patents if you want someone's patent you fight them to the death in a cage match and uh, it's like me, uh, you know, a patent.
1: cage match fi- uh <laughs> sponsored by stakeums right it's
4: like uh, racing for pinks right like that's it yeah racing for pinks and n- not in the dg method but you know
6: they could just go like dollar dollar Amber VPN club. club. <laughs> hey, what did you say? I said they could just go with dollar dollar VPN club. Yes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I like dollar dollar fake Amber Alert club pretty good as well. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, yeah, this next one here um, is about uh, a Raspberry Pi that was put in NASA's uh, Jet Propulsion Laboratory. And somehow oh from April 2018 to uh, like now, they only got like five hundred megabytes of data. Or what is it? Gigabytes? Well
4: what they was? did it was megabytes, five hundred megabytes, but they were targeting yeah. specific mission data apparently. But this is nothing new. And there's there's I see two things about this, one that I love and one that I hate. The one that I love is that JPL is still getting smashed like this long later. Like it's still going. Like people are still targeting JPL. And the thing that I hate is that they use the Raspberry Pi because the you know, I just hate that's that's people's go-to dropbox is like the most obvious thing that everybody knows what it is yeah
2: that's why it's so good though yeah
4: (laughs) somebody brings in a raspberry pi and plugs into the network and the network admin is just like what are you doing like why didn't they do that that's a good question
1: yeah but apparently the new uh the new raspberry pi the the pi 4 i think is going to be running the the newest version of uh debian that's going to be coming out next month
2: Nights. Yeah, Buster. Yep. Do you uh do you think that this is just one giant Raspberry Pi um and Toy Story 4 tie-in? This this whole hack?
6: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it can only be. <laughs>
2: Next
6: level I, marketing.
1: It's I, inconceivable. I,
6: I think I think there's more to this story that's not. It's, I mean, it was obviously a lot more that's not being publicized. But like, mm-hmm. what what is the deal with this Raspberry Pi? Did they have it in a in a vulnerable part of their network or something, or did it get compromised along the way? There's so many questions.
4: Yeah, so I, I was it compromised
6: uh, or was it planted?
4: I believe it was compromised from looking at this somewhere um, because they it had been on the network for some time. Looked like somebody had brought it in and it got popped. Um, but I mean, if you're doing network asset discovery, like the Raspberry Pi prefix is pretty obvious. You should look at your networks. Like layer 2. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they named it a Roku device name and it was just by the uh, break room.
2: Yeah, they were, they were pirating Crunchyroll off of it and then just... Suddenly... <laughs>
4: yeah. yeah. Sorry, <laughs> on, open a lick.
5: It was <laughs> it named Roku Anime was Box. Martin no one wanted to unplug it. <laughs> it's too important
4: i think a good takeaway from this is if you think it's a good idea to take anything into your workplace and plug it into the work network just don't please don't yeah and if you see somebody who's plugging in a raspberry pi at work just be like what are you doing stop (laughs) it's like
1: dave's quote-unquote anime box
2: yeah (laughs) (laughs) hard yes um yo so the next one here um pretty cool uh 20,000 linksys routers are the key history of every device ever connected okay god! Awesome. yeah sounds
3: <laughs> like a feature to <laughs> me
4: well what's crazy about this is that not all these linksys routers from this era are running ddwrt but uh that's separate it's like the prime time for the
2: uh for, you know custom firmware images. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you would expect, I guess, something of like this to happen, but it's it's just a matter of, like, I guess, how can this information be used? I mean, does anybody have any specific sort of things that they would be worried about specifically about this sort of thing happening? I
4: I mean, this is just like an... Ex- you would look at this as like an extension of Wiggle, right? So if you mm-hmm. imagine that, uh, you know, you get someone's MAC address from... If they say just say they post a screenshot or whatever um, that contains their MAC on their LAN, and then you know it's leaking out.
5: I yeah, guess. it's it's just decentralized, right? And this is what we're talking about last week: decentralization. <laughs> <laughs>
4: yeah, yeah. I think um, as well, like the these are pretty old routers as well. Like if you're still running an old router, maybe look at upgrading. Like it might still work, but doesn't mean it should stay there. When you see people hopefully, with runners, you know? Yeah. Hopefully,
1: none of those routers are the AC 1750.
6: <laughs> I have to say, I really like the the image of the guy on the on the top of the page, just like this navy guy getting hosed down. I feel like that needs to be reused in every article about a leak of any kind.
4: <laughs> yeah, I enjoy
6: how it happens.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um. I don't know. I think, uh, yeah, the, these devices are probably, you know, going to end up in Mirai oh, at some point no. when someone figures out how to write, you know, how to port exploits.
5: Yeah, it is uh, interesting um, that twenty-five thousand devices were leaking seven hundred and fifty-six thousand unique MAC addresses. So it's like that's a that's a pretty wild number.
3: Yeah. Although I guess
5: really when you cool. talk about like coffee shops, right? Like a lot of these could be placed in, you know, public places,
2: mm-hmm.
5: uh, public networks. So. Absolutely.
4: I wonder what the correlation is like between clients. Like, you know, if you see someone going between uh their their work and their coffee plate their coffee shop or their coffee shop mm-hmm. in their home or their friends' houses, yeah. stuff like that. For so, sure
0: were the actual uh, router mac addresses from uh, week two because you could probably look them up on like a war driving map and see where they were that's yeah, true
2: I'm, I'm I, that's, I was thinking about the different ways in, in which this data could be used to actually you know provide some insight into some sort of tracking of some sort you know I mean this sort of stuff is sort of analytics between like you know networks between websites all sorts of things like that those are all things that are commonly used by people to track others so, yeah, it's definitely interesting to see if this data would be scraped and leveraged in some way, um, but that's up to the viewers. Yeah. If you, they're, uh, they're, oh, if you you're in
5: on Oh no! I will gonna say there's a if people like like this kind of thing. There's an interesting talk uh, called "Stalking a City for Fun and Frivolity, which deals with kind of this exact same stuff of setting up a a bunch of boxes in different places, a bunch of Raspberry Pis, and then tracking around Mac addresses from place to place and being able to map them uh, in a, like by having these boxes call back.
3: Oh, for
1: crying out loud. Oh, no. Yeah.
5: And then, like- uh, sub note to that is that uh, devices like cell phones now do Mac or can do Mac address randomization when connecting to networks. <laughs>
4: uh, yes. Yeah, so no. when uh, iPhones are in scan mode, they're them uh, rotating Macs at that point as well. Jesus. So they're uh, so they're less trackable, but I mean, I don't know who else is doing that. But with Apple Watches, you know, and smartwatches and stuff like that, Bluetooth um, Macs are just like splattered out onto the air everywhere you go. Um, there was a project someone did where they got the same train every day and uh, they tracked Bluetooth Mac addresses within UberTooth when they got on and off trains. Uh, just a project, it's just all off the air stuff. But yeah, I think, it looks uh, like mine's
1: if, vulnerable or whatever, mine's affected. Great. With,
4: uh, actual routers <laughs> like so your, your current router, your updated router now like is probably managed via uh, your ISP with like TRC like TR dash line as a protocol. And uh they can push firmware updates and scrape stuff out of it as well.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean I bought that. this from Best Buy, so <laughs> Oh well. <laughs>
4: It's the default. Uh, like usually the uh, routers that come from ISPs are going to be managed with TR sixty nine. So like a lot of the this data can be pulled from them over that protocol anyway by the token. Yeah, you. yeah. So no, that's
1: that
4: it's in the
2: wild. Right. <clears throat> but uh, let's go, let's go to the next story here. Um, pretty cool. Walmart uh, is rolling out some AI to prevent checkout theft.
1: Oh, AI drink.
2: Welcome to Walmart. Hey, uh, I love you. They have done quite a bit, I guess, to just track whether or not people are scanning items and or miss scanning items. Um, and yeah, they're just going for it. I guess it's it seems like a little bit of overkill um, to avoid paying a worker to just be there. Um, uh-huh. So, do you, know. you think
4: that uh, they're using the same surveillance footage that they're already like you know keeping anyway?
2: I don't know. Maybe they're training on that. I mean, they—they I, I, they must be training on that. Um, yes. I mean, it would have to also correlate somehow with the, the you know, individual POS that is being um, something scanned into. Um, right. So it's interesting to see how that sort of like model actually works and how they actually end up.
6: Yes, yeah, it. this this article like activates my rant trap card every time So this, this stuff is there's no way that there's there's not gonna have like a million false positives There's just yeah. no way they're gonna have to develop some kind of like specialized monitoring capability Like they're gonna have they're gonna have to have new cameras installed every one of these check-in lanes for sure I don't think they can use what they have existing um, mm-hmm. it, It's it's gonna be a mess at least yeah. during during the initial rollout, they may make it better as time goes on, or they may just throw it all away. Like I don't, I just don't like seeing people jump on this band this particular bandwagon so quickly because the technology, I'm not sure that it's ready yet.
5: <laughs> yeah, and there's always like uh, cases. Where like this probably won't detect someone who's like slapping fake barcodes on things and that kind of stuff. Like uh, you know, there's always going to be plenty of ways to get around this that the vision itself just can't get around. But yeah. below hanging, I guess people who are shoplifting probably aren't you know uh, <laughs> taking it that far.
2: But I mean, I think- it's pretty easy to go on the uh, you know various websites, figure out the weight. Of the devices, I mean, or the the um the items that you want to, to steal, and then you print out the barcode of it. You might even be able to print it out online at home, um, and then just slap a label onto something of the same weight but is smaller or less price. You know, yeah. But and
4: a then, lot of the uh, a lot of the barcode readers as well have configuration codes that you, you can scan, and it will change the operation of the reader. That's <laughs> true. There's
2: actually a cool talk about that. A lot
0: of times when you go to these self checkouts, it does this thing where it, like it tries to sense like your bag to see if like you're bringing your own bag. But if you just like lift the bag off the sensor, then it asks for the attendant to put in their code. You can usually just watch them put in the code. So someone who's dedicated enough to actually like fuck with the POS system for the self checkouts could probably get into it.
5: Oh yeah, and there's also like mag spoof, and as for- also with the weight thing. Uh, you don't even have to like obviously slide it over on the actual thing, since it you know the optical scanner. You just have something of generally the
4: same shape and size. So this is our shoplifting segment. Um,
3: <laughs>
4: but uh, I I think what would, would be an interesting correlation would like say this technology works, which we've just, I think we've we're pretty much decided that it's probably not going to work. Um, say it does work. What would be interesting is. Uh, Tracking the cards that were used for people who consistently miss scan items so you could you know correlate Yeah, again following the money trail um, as as very common um, technique to to find people If someone's not paying for certain items, but they paid for other items and there's you know a payment associated Whose card is it? Pretty seems pretty scary when you sort of start to abstract it out
6: well, then then you get into some really dangerous territory which I also have pretty strong opinions about, which is like, how? okay, what is that based on? Because the, the, kinds of, um, the kinds of logic that you're working with, the underlying technology relies on all kinds of things that are really, really hard to determine. It's very black boxy. So it's very easy to say like, I wanna select for this one particular thing in my AI. And then you get all kinds of other crap that just gets in there, and you don't even really like, realize it until you go back and look at the results, but I mean, if you actually audit the results, which not everybody does. So you could really easily end up with a system that profiles people based on all kinds of different factors that you didn't want to select for, but ended up that way anyway.
3: Yeah, yeah that would
4: be interesting. I'm not uh, a, a
0: compliance expert, but I think it's a potential PCI DSS violation. If you're storing credit card numbers for transactional purposes and you don't get told to your customer that you're going to be using it, do your fucking AI thing to see if they're shoplifting or scamming the system or whatnot.
1: Oh boy. Uh,
0: but, you have, you,
4: it's not a DSS infringement. Like you can uh, definitely, uh, like that, the card numbers are stored hashed anyway. Plus, like generally, you have the uh, first Maybe
0: six and in the last that we like use it for a purpose?
4: No, it's as long because it's the the purpose is already for uh, transaction records for a business, so they can they can you know hold it. That's uh, fine. Yeah, it's sketchy, but it's they'll pass. Plus, like most DSS auditors, lol. Yeah. yeah i'm not an
0: expert in that field at all but i've been reading the legislation lately so i was just it piqued my mind
5: yeah it's also interesting that um this is going to be used on like their own cashiers as well like it doesn't mention it really but um like that's going to be one of the one of the things that's Uh, where it's going to be implemented is to make sure that their own cashiers and their own employees are scanning things correctly.
4: I mean,
5: this
4: reminds me of a good story story when uh, I I went to um, the supermarket with my mom actually, and I bought a case of beer and the guy's like, no, 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 don't put it up on the thing. It's too heavy. Um, And then he didn't scan it and we left and we we got a free case of beer. Like who's following that?
7: (laughs) I don't know. So that's, yeah, that's something that I find really interesting is like with that with that kind of system, you don't have a human element, so it's difficult to have like a, a aspect of forgiveness. So like, let's say, you know, some teenager steals something from Walmart or whatever. Um, is he banned from their stores for life? You know, how do you respond to that um, infraction? And that gives a lot of power to those companies that they probably shouldn't be having
5: well also but, this seems like it's just going in for like um just like miss scanning or not scanning and like uh it doesn't seem like this is tracking you know oh hey i just stuck uh this bottle in my pocket and walked you know so it's a interesting that it's to that it's one thing yeah it's interesting that there's so much uh like tech being invested in this one bit which is uh i don't know i i don't know how much of uh, you know as far as shoplifting, like miss scanning or not scanning or fake scanning accounts for. But
4: Yeah, I wonder if this is like really worth, like the, the amount of money they're investing in this AI, is it actually going to save them money on people miss scanning versus like, do they lose more money on miss scanning or more money on shoplifting? And is that amount like more or less than the amount it costs to implement ridiculous AI?
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's well, especially with something like Walmart too, where sometimes it's the only place uh, to get groceries in a given area. Yeah. Um, which could fuck you if you some AI thinks that you're a thief because you've have a hard time putting the milk on the counter the right way. Yeah.
7: Well, especially if you have if you have data sharing between companies, right? Like if Walmart decides to go and sell that database to, you know, whatever company, um, then you could end up really getting fucked very quickly by that. <laughs> yeah. I
4: think there's another. Element of like younger people as well are you know generally um, happy to adopt tech, whereas a lot of uh, older folk don't want to go and and use the self checkout. They prefer to be served by someone. So at what point you know is it just simply a case of um, old person fucks up? <laughs> yeah. You know, the other thing.
5: Really fair. The other thing is that uh, as soon as they have all those fucking uh, police robots movement in everywhere, will a police robot? Uh, arrest you if the AI detects that
7: you're stealing. <laughs> I don't... Yeah, I think that's a little bit of a stretch for now, but... Thank yeah, you. no, I, I mean, if you think it. about those, those systems at stores, I, like, they're already incredibly unreliable. Every single time I go into, you know, a grocery store and use their point-of-sale system, it, it is always unreliable. Like, there's always something that goes <laughs> Every single time. Uh, you know, I bring in a bag that's too heavy, or I... Uh, put an item down too quickly. I don't know. It it's already unreliable enough. Yeah.
0: Unexpected item in bagging area.
6: And McDonald's has been talking about doing a similar technology that would be a lot less complicated to like, you know, predict your order and they have not they've been talking about that for years and it's still not rolled out anywhere that I know of.
4: So, in McDonald's in Australia, I don't know about. I haven't used this in America, but there's like touch screens where you yep. where you Right. and uh the touch like there's been multiple cases like one guy uh posted a video where he ordered like 10 hamburgers but with no patties and it was actually negative 10 cents and
3: then,
4: <laughs> after he ordered 10 he had a dollar credit so he ordered one hamburger you know which is a dollar and then uh free hamburger and they just i mean yeah you could like a <laughs> bag of empty like buns with no patties like isn't that weird to someone? Oh.
7: That's a great point, though. The, that kind of system opens up to a lot of new potential problems. You know, yeah. like with the... If you remove the human element, like with shoplifting, for instance, you know, if you can fool that system, then there's probably not going to be as many people checking on you.
6: Absolutely. And to answer that question, I do not think that that is weird for a McDonald's employee. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, they have them in, in Massachusetts. It's, they're oh. everywhere.
2: Yo, let's uh, We can rant about McDonald's and, and Walmart all day. Um, please uh, get them to the next one, which is a bit heavier. Um, this is the U.S. government warning of data wipers used in Iranian cyber attacks. So, oh, boy. Yeah, basically, the just a warning of the fact that there are certain groups that are deploying malware that just wipes your computer which is uh yeah so shitty yeah
1: i think it was shamoon shimoon was one of them too it's also yeah. a question of how do we know who's
5: actually doing it
7: well well attribution is is tough um, yeah. but i think that one of the things is with the wipers uh you know when i was working with the the mongo db wiping there's a bunch of people going through and Ripping ripping out a bunch of servers um, and leaving ransom notes. I think that's one way that they can kind of uh, make it more feasible, because it takes a lot of infrastructure to support actually recovering data.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah, let's well, all grab can. our attribution dies. Well, um,
2: I think i wait, sorry, we're you gonna say DNC.
4: Like think the very first program, like the time, the first time you thought about writing a malicious program in your entire life, as like a, you know, like a little kid. What am I gonna do with this malware? Oh, I know. I'll delete all the files. Like it's,
2: it's <laughs> or make a plan. bunch of files. So yeah.
4: Or make a bunch yeah. of files. Or, or like do do some like sketchy, like malicious, boring thing. Like pop ups
0: until the system crashes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. they're
4: in. If they're using like proxies and stuff inside of uh, Iran to target, um, you know, uh, US allies or whatever, surely they can think, they can like sort of go, hmm, instead of wiping the data off this machine that contains really sensitive shit, maybe we should exfiltrate it. Like, I don't know, like this, or maybe we should modify it, or maybe, you know, there's got to be some better goal than wiping the machines. I feel like this is just showing that they're not very good at it
6: what you're describing is like, there's a difference in strategy for an yeah. attack like this. It's it's not an intelligence gathering type, type of operation. It's a disruption type of operation. And like, this is very, this is the conventional cyber war type of mentality that you see taking place in a lot of different countries right now. And it just like, it's, it's very immature and very much what you say, like this is what a, a fourth grader would do.
5: Yeah. It's worth noting that um, it doesn't look like, you know, like the fake ransomware attacks you've seen in the past too, right? Where it'll wipe everything, be like, oh, by the way, give us money and we'll restore it, and then like, uh, so like you would think if it were financially motivated that there would be something like that, like a fake ransom aspect to it at least.
7: Um, but it's just a, it's just a straight wipe, huh? It's just, but it, yeah, yeah. So then it's probably going for disruption. Um, It's also like you can wipe data a lot faster than you can exfiltrate or encrypt it. Oh, yeah. Mm. So
2: Definitely.
4: If you want to talk
7: about disruption, that's a pretty effective method, especially if you can spread quickly.
4: So a question for you. Um, If we were playing golf, how many opcodes do you think you need to to achieve this? (laughs) I mean, if you're doing a straight
2: exec VE on there, not very many, probably like <laughs> probably like 35, 36, I can say. Depends on, on how you actually do the operation. But if you're doing something like a DD, that might be a little bit better, and it would take a little bit more characters.
4: So let's say there's a par. Let, let's say par is 35. So if anyone can wants to play golf on riding a wiper, uh, you can check out the... Uh, I think it's on, on use uh, GitHub. Can I can post the
2: link. guy. <laughs> Give me one second. I forgot about I that. <laughs> I don't on, uh, on, on, Yeah, because if you're doing a straight exit be, um, then you It's it's a lot simpler. There's not a lot of opcodes involved. I'll uh, drop it in the chat.
0: So if this is the kind of thing that they're imagining conventional cyber warfare as they would call it to be, I'm just curious what other like hack forums, like hack tool, fucking uh, hack pack level, like zip files, skid shit they have. Like, it's, what are
6: yeah. they doing? It's. Uh... It's stupid. <laughs> it's just, it's not, it's not next level thinking.
4: Yeah, definitely. Uh, I,
6: I, I don't, mean, I want to, I, I don't want to let this segment pass without noting though, that the lead here is clearly buried. The, I did not know that the department of Homeland Security, Cyber and Infrastructure Security Agency is directed by a guy named Krebs. <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs> <Yeah>. uh...
6: <laughs>
4: Surely. Um, it's yeah, I I, just
5: docks think, I ran to the ground.
4: <laughs> it's, it's just something I think uh, that if you were putting together a strategic operation of any kind, you would have a little bit more forethought. I mean, it's yes, it's disruptive, but so a DDoS attack, like DDoSing is disruptive, turning like they're a nation. They can just turn off the internet to the building. Like, you know, there's other, oh. I mean, it, it's not very, yeah.
7: I mean, if you look at things like Stuxnet, you know, you have a solid spreading method, then you can really cause a lot of damage. And people yeah. can run around the building unplugging Ethernet cables, but uh, it's still... Doesn't yeah.
6: Well, there's there's kind of more to, to that whole story too. Like, the, the that type of operation takes a lot of lead up, right? So you're talking about like months and months and months of planning and operational posturing to get into the position to do something like that in the first place. And when you're talking about a, a conflict that just kind of popped up like this one did, and not to say that there haven't been you know tensions, but like you're still talking about a lot of time of build up to get to the point where you can do something that's any more complex than just hop on the box and wipe the whole thing.
4: Yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, I mean, but there's also payloads in you know metasploit um, that are off the shelf, so <laughs> I know.
5: Yeah, it's. Uh, I think it speaks to their um, level of operational complexity that they're choosing to just go with something like this right off the right off the shelf, like as an actor. Um, because I mean, you would think that any anything that you could compromise enough to wipe, you would be able to also leverage for more complex attacks. So, it's uh, it's interesting.
4: Yeah what i think is funny actually is uh by by wiping a box you're forcing them to install patches <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> they're, they're reinstalling with the latest strip, sli- strip. Sli- ah. you know what i'm uh, streamlined well, i don't code. know
7: I, I would i think <laughs> I you might you be giving can. too much credit for that one
2: maybe maybe
7: <laughs>
2: um so speaking of iran the next story that we have on here is uh just been baffling me for a little bit. So it says that Trump approves cyber strikes against Iran's missile system. Why would you announce this?
4: That's exactly my first thought. Yeah. So exactly. the thing
2: is that it specifically says they've been planning them for months, and they hit the missile systems and blah blah. blah. Like, okay, so you <laughs> just like unveiled so much of your operation, and. I just I don't get it. I don't get how this is any part of a legitimate strategy. My first thought whether
0: they actually were able to compromise or not. Maybe they tried and they weren't able to. And they just tried or to scare them into doing the IR anyways.
7: Do we know if they actually even tried? I mean it could just be like a flexing thing, you know, you go on Twitter, you say, Oh, we hacked Iran and you look good, I guess.
0: Yeah, Yeah, but But it's possible that our presidency has the same credibility now as,
7: like, Lizard Squad.
4: (laughs) (laughs) The best quote in the whole article, easily, is uh, from Alyssa Smith. As a matter of policy and for operational security, we do not discuss cyberspace operations, intelligence, or planning. Like, who didn't tell Trump this? I mean,
5: you know, he was told and he just said,
4: oh, well, that's nice. Ignore. (laughs) Like, yeah, well, we're gonna let them know that we hacked him. It's like they already know. They already—if you did it, they know. Well,
7: I think he was saying that they were going to. Did he actually say that they had done it? I think that he was just like, "We're gonna hack you." God.
2: Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Maybe it's part of the strategy. You never know. Like, it's just like, "Fuck off!"
1: Like, <laughs> I don't know. And then when he was announcing, like. Uh, sanctions or new sanctions or whatever he mentioned the what was it ayatollah khamenei which passed out which who died in like the 90s or something
6: oh this is a this is a new uh, one they 89. have they had one before and this is a new same, same yeah. name different guy
1: oh oh okay i was, I was about to say because all the stuff on twitter was like Oh, that guy he died in like the 90s yeah, or 80s. He's
6: really old now. It's a different guy, same name.
1: Oh, go figure.
6: <laughs> That's why we have handles.
2: I'm
4: <laughs> sure it's not a vampire.
2: Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's just one of the things that I've just been kind of thinking about like I don't I don't get why you would say this um yeah. but i think
4: any news that comes out about it we can't believe like if they say we attacked this missile thing or like we disrupted these missile attacks or whatever you don't you wouldn't say that you don't know that i mean i guess that's where freedom of information maybe could help in some years time you know huh. to look back in hindsight but not yeah. today
1: and then the iranian like office official people went on to turned around and called the president like mentally handicapped or something
5: yeah the moral of the story is they're not wrong but you know no one's going to know how big your dick is unless you tell them right (laughs) that's that's the that's the real strategy here
7: they actually call him mentally handicapped well yeah.
1: mentally retarded
7: but yeah. the, uh, the the discourse has really devolved down to like a uh, a call of duty level interaction
2: <laughs> right, exactly it's When's all the leaders, leaders you in your router you better not use your home ip how much what you want to
1: bet the crossword? next thing they're going to do is like say they banged his mom or something that's coming yeah. <laughs> so all the leaders uh, are just like,
2: one big discord yeah. server yes <laughs> <laughs> Shit posting
1: um, on 4chan.
2: <laughs> yeah, so um the speaking of cyber attacks, this one's interesting too. So like, this is a cyber attack that hits uh police forensic work. So what's interesting about this to me is that if they're doing an investigation into somebody and they're holding like legally admissible um, information, you know, evidence about somebody, is like the perfect target to hit. Oh boy. Uh, yeah, and, I thought
4: about yeah. that as well, but At the same time they're talking about physical evidence so we're not talking about digital forensics here it's like we're talking about physical forensics so you know um, resequencing dna and and toxicology and stuff like that so probably i think it's likely that if there was like some cases there'll obviously be a backlog to uh re-put things back into digital mode but i think a lot of the things are going to be bagged up and stored in evidence lockers somewhere for reanalysis if if need be. So it's a good yeah. target, though. It's it's a, it's a good idea. Um, I mean, it's a bad idea. It's a terrible idea. You don't do it. But it, from the perspective of an attacker, it's you know it's a pretty interesting way to go about it.
7: I'd also be interested to see, like, um, I know that for instance, you look at malware campaigns. There's a lot of competition between uh, different actors. So I'd be interested to see if people. You know, like you could probably use that information to take down somebody else or plant info or give tips.
6: Well, this this one's a little misleading because it, it leads you to believe that this is like a targeted thing. But it it looks like it's some kind of ransomware campaign, which like everyone, everyone gets hit by this stuff. I'm not sure that this yeah. is unique to this yeah. forensics lab.
2: Oh, so specific, yeah. specifically though just hearing about it being a forensics lab is an interesting target to think about in terms of like if you were to do a spear fisting campaign to get your buddy who is, you know, being held up in court about something, um, to destroy evidence. Um, yeah. if it was like, like who
4: was that the Russian guy who hacked tried to hack his friend out of jail and then they both went to jail together?
2: Yeah, no. <laughs> uh, I <laughs> forget who that guy was, but that that was cool.
4: Yeah. So I, I think with the ransomware thing as well, like wouldn't it be very easy to just blame ransomware? It's like, oh, forgot to put Tor on, blame anonymous. You know, like um, using an off the shelf uh, ransomware um, variant and then just like throwing it at your target and having them deal with it, you might be able to guarantee disruption enough. Guarantee some sort of destruction, I don't
7: know. This feels like a uh, familiar conversation.
6: It yeah. definitely undermines the credibility of the forensics lab. Yeah, for
4: sure. Well, I, I, I sort of think as well, though, that uh, they're a little bit like their expertise is not in like, obviously not in digital forensics. So, I mean, they could have some really smart science men working there, but some really poor computer people
6: working there. Uh, I don't know that that makes a difference to the lawyers, right? Like the lawyers. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. That's That's exactly the kind of thing that they'd love to have to say. Yeah, but look at this. How do we know that the, that the evidence has been maintained yeah. properly, et cetera, et cetera?
5: Yeah, interesting doubt, which is all you have to do. Um, also, there's, I mean, not that I've necessarily seen it, or but has anyone ever gone through with like a targeted attack and then covered it up with ransomware? Like, has that been a thing we've actually seen anywhere?
4: Uh, I mean, well, there's definitely been you know people use a box for dirt even if it's a jump box and then rm it. Um, yeah. I don't know if there's been specifically ransomware. Uh, pro tip: don't rm boxes; just clean the
2: logs. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, you can use the elite log cleaner in the uh, episode uh, show notes from a couple weeks ago.
1: (laughs) It's like that GIF with the uh, where the guy where the koala or whatever is. Is pouring gasoline and throws throws his cigarette behind him, and then it like some some water tower or something explodes in the background. Oh yeah, yeah. very true. <laughs> it's like RM Tech RF in uh, uh, depicted or something.
2: Oh, speaking of which, I just finished writing um, the uh, RMRF binary golf, so we'll see how big it is in a second. Um, yo, so the next story that we have here is this uh, Verizon um, BGP optimizer knocking. Oh. Um, parts of the internet off of offline uh, cloudflare
5: so optimized
2: <laughs> yes so this is pretty yeah. uh, pretty bad I that, guess that word I don't I don't
1: it. that word I don't think it means what you think it means
4: <laughs> so Verizon I mean I guess uh, pre-verizon MCI worldcom like all these companies that are now Verizon um, right they've all had a lot of like clout with early internet I guess and they've kept it so, uh guess this is what happens when things, you know, I wouldn't say that I've worked there, but if I had worked at one of those places, um, I would be worried. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's uh, A lot of outsourcing and stuff uh, and acquisitions have happened over the years. So, who runs what is probably a very big, like, you know, the company has the name, the company has the cloud, but who's the people behind it still?
5: It's interesting that um you know it seems like the optimizer part implies that this is just some like automatic function that just happened. Right? It's just like, oh, this seems like a good route. And it was not a good route.
4: Terrible, in fact.
0: Horrible. <laughs> yeah.
7: Uh, I think like it goes back kind of, to the whole the whole replay thing, right? Like you have a a service that blindly replays information. That's going to cause some problems. Yeah.
2: No. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this, the problems that are sorry, I was getting like, really distracted. Uh, the problems with BGP here are um, are like just going to keep happen. and it's just like as these sort of things keep happening. I don't know. It just I, I feel like I don't I don't ever see anything that seems like it would be the way to go for something to replace someone on BGP or to supplement it in a way that is safe because there's just too much trust that can happen. And even trying to optimize things like that's that's the issue is that when, when something is, is being any route is being advertised on BGP that seems to be faster, the system will just automatically just say, Oh yeah, that's a good idea. And so you can realistically do that with anything. And it's just like that's not it's not
7: the same way to, to, to do global networking. I think, I think penalizing organizations that improperly broadcast routes is going to be something that is probably going to start to happen more. Absolutely. Uh, That's I remember rec- yeah, recently it happened. I think they, they managed to, to block off a provider completely a couple
4: months ago, right? I think it happens pretty regularly. Yeah.
5: I mean, this is a different case, though, because this is... Uh, you know Verizon like sending its own sh- shit somewhere else, right
3: mm-hmm.
5: so yeah. it's like this is almost the almost the exact opposite of what we usually see where someone's taking someone else's traffic and and sending it to them
2: yeah, yeah. no I mean there's a lot of mistakes that happen I mean it's awesome um what is it b g p mom what's the website that you can visualize the rerouting it's pretty cool b g
1: p stream um, I think. yeah
2: BGP. Um, there's a lot of cool stuff you can look at it with, you know, a ton of different APIs and stuff to, to monitor this kind of thing. Um, oh. But yeah, it's interesting to see like how frequent it happens and, and there's, there's, you know, miss, you know, miss broadcast routes, but you know, they don't do as much damage, I yeah. guess, some of this where it would affect, you know, so much.
4: Yeah, actually,
1: it turns out it's BGP Mon. I,
4: I, yeah. So, uh, Dasho in the chat said BGP and SCP were built without a realistic model for threat actors. And it needs to be done from uh, scratch eventually, which mm-hmm. I totally agree with. Like that, you know, the the trust-based model, I've said it on the show many times before, just doesn't fit this anymore. Um, it may have when there was like six, you know, six main sort of broadcasting uh, peers, like, but it's not the case anymore, so let's reevaluate get some real big big brain galaxy brain bgp nerds to come up with a replacement um (laughs) and that would be good i hope they're working on that already
7: you have to get the adoption to happen though which would be difficult
4: like ipv6
0: makes perfect fucking sense but who's still using it (laughs) right
5: yeah, I mean the trust thing, right? It's uh, something you could lay on top of uh, another system, which I think is how it's going to have to go. Right, you're going to have to uh, lay some sort of trust on top of it.
4: Yeah, I like we we're talking about uh, yeah. last week was a uh, IPsec tunnel tunneling BGP um, broadcast, but still, it still requires that the person that you're trusting is doing the right thing, which is in this case they didn't in almost every case they didn't
2: yeah um yo so with that um we should hold on one second actually let me grab a mix real quick um we should take a little break um before we do our interview here with texadecimate
4: bye bye
2: yeah um so that was fun i just on the uh I'm just already playing it. Alright, <laughs> yeah. So here's a German bass. <laughs> Let's just take a little
1: break.
2: <laughs> um, Alright, so we'll be back in like a few minutes. So we'll see you soon. Hello. Yo. Can I all uh, no, hear us? Oh, we're back. Hi, sorry about that. Took a bit longer of a break than usual. Um, we're all hot, <laughs> it's very hot. Um,
5: man's not hot, man's not hot. This yes. is why I'm hot.
2: <laughs> um, but yo, um, well, welcome uh, everybody and welcome, uh, Is that what we should call mm. you?
6: That's no, whatever. Yeah, that's good. Cool.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Um So yeah, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on and and hanging out with us during the news segment as well.
6: Yeah, thanks for inviting me. This is super. I'm super excited. I've been (laughs) excited for a long time. That's awesome.
2: No, I've been excited to have you. You do a lot of really cool stuff. I think we should, uh, for the sake of time, just get right into it. Do you want to just, I guess, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself?
6: Yeah, sure. Um, I I guess I started my career in 2010. I've been doing Government stuff for like uh, seven seven years, Um, Mm -hmm. then got out of government and I've been doing startup stuff ever since then. So that's like my day job. Which uh, uh, day jobs are day jobs? I'm having fun with Dragos right now, which is great. Um, Most of what I enjoy talking about and doing is in uh, in my side projects. I do I like talking about ICS stuff too, which is what I do with my um, my actually my actual paying gig. Um, but, uh, yeah, this, the side project that you all asked me to come on and talk to today about was, um, the hacking history project, which is kind of what I've been spending most of my time on lately. It's not as technical as I'm usually used to doing, but it's, uh, it's been kind of a nice diversion from technical stuff.
2: That's awesome. So I guess before we get into that aspect of it, do you want to tell us a little bit about like how you got involved in doing, you know, computer and hacking related
6: things? Um. Yeah. I, well. So the the story I usually tell is that I was um I was going to school to to be a historian, um, in college, and then there was like this one specific time where I realized that I really wanted to be more a part of history than talk about it all the time, but mm-hmm. I still had that that interest in in history had never left me. So then, like you know, I. Fast forward to ten years later, and I'm 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 like out of college and doing hacky stuff, and um, and then I just kind of like decided to to start doing FOIA related work about uh, eight or nine months ago, I guess. Um, and it's like FOIA work is like full contact history. It's mm-hmm. the, there's like a there's a place where history and journalism really overlap, and that's where FOIA work is. Because you're finding a lot of stuff that the government hasn't really wanted to talk about for a long time and You're digging it up to Put the pieces together so that the the story of How we got here is much more clear than it was before you did that so that's that's where the that's the the uh, Confluence of these interests and how it all comes together That's awesome so
2: uh, for people who are listening here and for our knowledge as well, um, do you want to get a little bit into what FOIA actually is and why it's important?
6: Yeah, so the government um, established this thing called the Freedom of Information Act, and it's, um, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of an honor, it's, well, it's very much an honor system uh, type of um, operation that the government does. So every agency is uh, obligated to be responsive to FOIAs. In some way, shape, or form. So you can submit a question of about anything to anybody in the United States at the federal level, and every municipality has also got like a similar Freedom of Information Act type of uh, legislation that they usually have to adhere to as well. So um, you can submit a question to, to any. Uh, federal or local and state level um, Law enforcement agency for instance about any anything that you think that they might have and they are obligated legally to give you a response of some kind That um, there it gets more complicated than that when you actually start dealing with like um, national security and there are all kinds of different exemptions that uh, that can come into play when especially around national security, but um, th- this is this is a thing that I think is really relevant to the hacking community, um, the the infosec community in general, really, because uh, our our history is being held in these institutions. Because, like, let's be honest, we've all done shady-ish stuff or been involved in something that's been kind of shady, and we're all interested because we're all like secretly voyeurs. So, uh, or at least maybe I'm just displaying my own. Maybe I'm. Yeah, I don't know my hand
2: content. too much. a new concept to me. So, go on.
6: So, like so you say. know the so you you leverage FOIA to ask these questions of of federal institutions to find out what they know about about you or about anything that you're interested in.
4: I mean, Thug Crowd had never been in anything shady, so they'd have nothing for
6: us. No, no, no. <laughs> I know you guys. You, you're you're clean. <laughs>
4: That doesn't mean that people might not have thought otherwise, though, I guess is the point, right? <laughs> Perfectly
6: legitimate
2: business people. look the other way? <clears throat> trustworthy. Shout out to Trustworthy Services, LLC.
6: Perception uh, is everything.
2: That's very true. We even have a green lock on our website. <laughs> um, so... I guess So when you're talking about making these requests and saying that they're legally, I guess, obligated or obligated in general under the Freedom of Information Act to give you info, um, when you're doing something like this, what goes into making a request and how do you make a request uh, a good one?
6: A lot of reading. Um, that's the sad part. A lot of reading. Uh, so there, there's a site that we... Primarily work with and I guess I'll give them a plug because they've been really helpful to us. It's uh, MockRock.com, Um And I, I recommend the site. It's a nonprofit organization but I recommend the site because it's like it makes it takes all of the the guesswork out of doing FOIA and makes it really accessible to anybody who's interested in this kind of thing so um, Right now, if you if you go to that site, you don't need to use MuckRock. By the way, you can you can send a a request directly to an, an agency, and they um, they will respond to you in some way, shape, or form, as long as you follow their rules. Um, so, uh, what goes into making a FOIA? Well, I mean, you first start. It starts with the question. So, what is it that you're interested in knowing? Um, is there is there a specific like uh, piece of history that you're interested in? My case, I'm interested in you know infosec related stuff. So I've I've gone through and looked at like decades old um, News stories about hacks that were done in the, in the 80s and 90s because that's like we can talk more about the, the kind of like FOIA sweet spot uh, That's my terminology um, But you know older cases that the government may be interested in releasing after they've have had their mitts on it for decades um, so you ask a question you determine who would be the best agency to ask that question to, you send it to them, and, uh, and then you hope and pray that they'll get back to you in their legal obligation, which they normally don't.
4: Hmm. Interesting, they normally don't. I mean, uh, it's not surprising, but uh, legal obligation kind of means they're they're supposed to, right?
6: Well, it, so I said it was honor system. It's definitely an honor system. Um, the, the, the amount of time that they are obligated to respond to you, um, doesn't usually get followed, at least in my experience. Now, NASA has been awesome and the ones that are really good, everybody, and the, there is a, a community of people who does Freedom of Information Act requests all the time. They know who the good ones are because they get back to you like right away. But it is, there, there's not really an enforcement mechanism that, that makes them adhere to a specific time frame interesting
2: um, so what is the goal of your project do you want to kind of describe a little bit about you know what the project is uh, how you are you know what the goal is and how you are going about achieving that
6: yeah um, so my, my personal goal has just been to like I we all we all have heroes uh, that, that go back you know, decades. I mean, there's there's all kinds of people who came before us in this community and found all kinds of really interesting and cool things. The thing is that they all have a story, and um, each one of those people has, you know, probably had some kind of the, the governments had some kind of interest in them. Like uh, the Loft guys, for instance, are notorious for having overlaps with government. I mean, you know, Mudge works for the government now, which is I still can't believe sometimes. Um, but they, they've, when, when you start getting recognition for something uh, to a certain level, especially for something that's kind of novel, the way that, that the InfoSec community over the years has kind of built up into, the government takes interest in you. And um, because the, the laws that govern what we do are so sticky and vague sometimes. Um, the government may take interest in you, even though they don't really have a reason to. So, um, there, with all of these different identities, these different people that have helped get us to where we are today, um, I'm interested in finding out what the government, what interest the government has had in you know in us, in all of us collectively over the years, and um, maybe by looking at the past, we can determine. At least to some degree, what their interests might be in the future—it's um, hard to guess, of course—but there there are a lot of stories to tell in these files, and that's that's really what I'm that's what I'm after. I'm kind of after uh, liberating that information and making it, you know, stories that we can all kind of know and tell each other going forward, as long as people are okay with that.
2: That's awesome. Um, so, what sorts of things have uh, you uncovered with this project?
6: So, we've uh, the first thing that we that we got that's probably worth talking about is the documentation on the Wankworm, and that's the one that we've we've been talking the most about because it's uh, the most substantial thing that we've had released so far. Um, so, we we did like a, a crowdfund for the project about a month ago, I guess. And raised uh, a few thousand dollars which that you know, thanks to all of the the crowd funders because that um, Seems like a lot of money and it really is but there's a a cost associated with releasing this information Um, So the wankworm stuff uh, Came from a FOIA that I put in um, to to NASA to just figure out like what How they dealt with this? uh, When it occurred and if you're not familiar with this, this is like a very this is a very early uh, worm variant that hit the National Aeronautics and Space Administration and um, It caused a lot of problems because this is like the government wasn't used to dealing with this kind of thing So this is like the first real worm that uh, that a major government agency really had to deal with um, uh, That wasn't you know, that wasn't security related in any way um, But so there there is a um, I wrote a little vignette about this on Mark Rock if you're interested Uh, But the the what 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 NASA gave me were was a slideshow of um, like their response efforts to the wankworm and uh, It's it casts a lot of light on Exactly what their response to it was and uh, that that's the kind of insight you don't really get from the outside right like a lot of people know the story of the wankworm and it's like it's no mystery that it occurred and the details, a lot of the de- details are known, but what's not really uh, publicized or what's not really known by the community is what the, what the government saw, because that's a whole different side of the story. So um, the information that's contained in the, in the slideshow, it's, there's not much there uh, in terms of content, but the, the gravity of what's in there is actually really interesting. Because um, so, if you're if you're familiar with it, like they they originally traced it through uh, They thought that they thought it was uh, the origin was in France and ended up being in Australia So like you can kind of see where where they were at when these slides were produced By what's
4: interesting scene. with wing Sorry, go Sorry. ahead. I, I just think what's what's interesting. So for anyone who, who isn't quite familiar with the story Wank being uh, worms against nuclear killers mm-hmm. is the acronym and so that the motivation Behind or the seeming motivation, um, I guess um, behind it was like a very early instance of some form of hacktivism. So uh, I guess that would would set, a, you know, set a bit of a preset and a bit of a landscape for uh, like there being being such an early worm. There wasn't this kind of um, I guess uh, direction pointed towards the government before in in this on this platform. So. I guess that's supposedly, I guess that's going to be what's the interesting thing to find out, right? Like, how did, they, how did the government feel um, about what the public had taken action against them of their you know, nuclear programs?
6: Right, yeah, and that's, and that's ultimately what, what's really interesting about doing FOIA work on this particular issue is that there, there are journalists who do Freedom of Information Act requests about things that happened recently. Um, uh, so like the, the one example we were talking about in the, in the break was that I, you know, today I just put in a FOIA request for the, the thing we talked about in the news segment, which is the, uh, JPL hack of the raspberry Pi. So I'm hoping to get something back on that, but that's like modern journalism. Um, what we're trying to do with the, with the hacking history project is to dig more into the past and get the stories that people have forgotten about. Like wank was, uh, a done deal, you know, I think most people assume there wasn't much else there but with this with this FOIA um, We might have discovered something kind of interesting here, which was this may have been we don't know for sure But and we can speculate that this may have been the first time that the because you know judging from what they say in the slides um, NASA passed this case over to FBI to do some investigation And uh, there was always some speculation that Julian Assange was involved in this. I don't know that I believe that, but if he was, then that would have been one of the first times that the FBI was actually looking into him was way back in the eighties.
4: Yeah. So the Australian federal police were also involved with that. um, And that you can read about more in the book, the underground, which is uh, the whole, um, That period of time, the wankworm, that kind of stuff is is covered in that book. So
2: interesting. Very interesting. Now I'm curious, is there any pushback um from people either in government or in the hacker community towards your project? Because if you are trying to uncover something and maybe get some more information about things that might have been sealed, um or just forgotten about, you know, people are worried about something coming up and it's correlated with like something now. um, Anything
6: like that. Yeah, so there's always pushback with the government. That's just the nature of doing the work um, The the hacking community has been amazing um, I Actually didn't expect to get as much support for this as I've had and the amount of interest that people have had has been like really overwhelming um, I haven't heard anything really negative maybe pe- people are saying things and I'm just not listening, but um yeah, I, I I try to be sensitive to some of these stories because you know I've, we have Freedom of Information Act requests on people um, who not necessarily people specifically, but on on different projects where we might touch on uh, members of our community who aren't with us anymore, and um, I try to be sensitive to those stories in particular the people who can't really you know give us give us consent to say like you know I'm cool talking about this. Um, but for the people who we can ask, uh before we would publish anything uh, or put anything into print, um, I would I would, you know, be sensitive to to asking people how they feel about it directly if if I can get a hold of them. Um it's it's definitely an important a thing that's important to me.
4: So uh we have a question from the chat as well. Um in Twitch chat. Uh, do you have a template for the FOIA requests that you tend to use commonly?
6: Oh, yeah. So that's, so that's a great question. Um, the, the site that I mentioned before on MuckRock is they, they kind of have a template that you fill in. Um, the, they have a full staff who can help you um, uh, formulate what you need to ask and how you need to ask it. But they do have a template that you just kind of like put all of your, um, your questions into. Uh, there are FOIA templates if you decide not to use MuckRock as a service. Um, if you want to just like make a form email and send it to somebody those yeah, those exist there There are tons of those out there and, and it doesn't have to be complicated either You know, like I can I can look at my my JPL one is basically just like I'm looking for um, any written memorandums or uh, audiovisual recordings that are related to uh, Raspberry Pi um, Exploitation or compromise and then sometimes what you do is you put like a between the years of uh, time bounding on something, especially if your topic is kind of vague. In that case, I don't, I don't really have to do that because it's a very specific issue. But if you wanted to know about like um, all of the instances of a specific word that have been used, like there, so here's one that's interesting. Uh, one of the people that I'm working with just put in a, um, I'm working with uh, somebody who does voice all the, all the time named Emma Best. So she put in a request with like um, every permutation of the word fuck that you can think of and submitted it to a number of different agencies. Uh, so like, you know, um, uh, I don't know, every every different way that you could possibly use the word fuck, I guess, <laughs> just to just to see like what comes out of it. And it, you may not get a whole lot that's terribly interesting, but you might actually get some that actually like, Give you a trail to something else that's the kind of fun part
4: that's interesting i think uh so when it comes to this has made me think of this um when it comes to like redacted documents like is is there cases where you just get a document that's black and you go like oh the only word that wasn't highlighted was that wasn't uh redacted was fuck.
6: oh yeah yeah of course yeah there's all <laughs> kinds of like really weird things that you get back sometimes you just get images Um, Sometimes you get like totally blank pages. Sometimes you get things that have just been redacted past anything that's recognizable. Um, Depending on how old it is, you can challenge that. You can really, you can challenge the integrity of anything that you get back. So even if you get like a a Glomar response, which is the the standard form, you know, like uh, I can't confirm or deny um, the existence of these files, you can you can even appeal the integrity of that if you think that they're being um, if they're being tough with you. The the thing is that generally they if they're giving you a glomar response they're giving it to you because they know that the only other option that you have is to sue them. Um, but that's like that's a whole different level of Freedom of Information Act hardball that I have not engaged in. But you know my affiliates have have done a lot more than of that than I have.
4: So uh, there's a number that pops into my brain from like TVs or maybe news. I'm not sure of like 50 years, like certain documents are locked for like 50 years. Is that, is that like actually a thing or can Uh, you just go freedom of information anything?
6: No, it is. Um, The, the term of limitation for um, top secret documents is 30 years. So without like a, without a a verified um, and verified is not really a technical term without, without a, um, a national security exemption, you can't, he- agencies are not supposed to keep information top se- labeled at top secret for longer than 30 years, which is, I'm glad that you asked the question because that gets to what I was talking about earlier with the sweet spot. So some of this stuff that might be um, classified would fall into that, like if I'm doing a FOIA in, into the 80s or 90s, um, which is, kind of like the golden era of the, the Wild West era of the internet, um, you can do a FOIA request for stuff that was going on back then today and government agencies are much more apt to give it to you because so much time has passed and they, they consider it history. So they release it to you and you can find stuff that nobody knew about before in the public space. Um, and that, that again is really what this project is all about is finding that stuff.
4: Cool. So I should be able to find out stuff about the aliens.
6: Yes, the aliens are are go way back. <laughs>
4: <laughs> I'm sure that there's been uh I I would say if I had to guess, that's probably the the the, the Roswell is potentially the most FOIA thing ever.
6: Oh my god, for sure. Yeah. There I can't even imagine. <laughs> the the poor FOIA people, they get that stuff all the time, right? Like it's always like uh what do you know about aliens and JFK conspiracies and all kinds of stuff? I'm sure. Oh
5: right,
7: JFK's of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me yeah. JFK's brain. Yeah,
6: everyone wants to know.
7: The Apollo 11 mission, I'm sure, is also.
6: Uh, yeah, I'm I'm sure that NASA gets a ton of stuff about like you know prove it.
7: Well, they also um, have the they also have the GitHub repo with a, a pretty solid documents about what each file means, which is awesome.
6: Yeah, there's there's a and that's another great thing about MuckRock is that there, there are enough um, different people that are writing for that site now that there's all kinds of different uh, tips that they can give you and like understanding all of the different exemption codes. It's kind of like an art in and of itself.
4: I suppose it's kind of uh, intentionally made complex to protect certain things and and gatekeep in a way, but also it has to exist, right? So they they kind of build their framework around that idea.
6: Well, yeah, and that's that's kind of funny that you would bring that up because there there are some things about the FOIA process that are just mysterious and kind of yeah, obviously built to be an obstacle to researchers. So like the one thing that I worked on before was um I, I got a little bit of attention for building uh this like really, really rough uh cryptonym finder. So the idea was that like it was it was programmed. It was a program to. It was a very simple Bash program that did like some really, some really, or Python, some really gross like um, uh, NLP, some natural language processing against a a text file that you would put into it, and just look for um, uh, different words that might be cryptonyms. So the idea being that like in a in a in a an and a declassified document, there may be words that have been used. Um, uh, Cryptonyms that have been used to describe projects that we didn't know about until a document was released And that's kind of like the treasure-hunting aspect of this is that CIA has got a thing on their site called the crust database. That's like full of of decades of declassified CIA Information and it's really really interesting to look through there Um, but it's like keyword searchable and we know that they have better technology than that but everything that's on there is keyword searchable so if you found a document that you're interested in and downloaded it then you get like a flat pdf and that's not helpful to anyone so and there again it's like cia could could be giving us pdf files that that have been uh run through ocr like that that's not a huge energy expenditure on their part, but the fact that they're giving us a PDF that has not Had any kind of processing done on it is like it's an obvious kind of like okay guys type of thing that You know we the public has to deal with
4: Yeah, it's it's definitely a tactic um, it was used by the similar tactic was used by like the the Phone book service uh, in Australia to prevent reverse lookups like they just send you an image Yeah numbers you search for, how annoying. Like, you know, it's not a, it's they'll give it to you, but they don't want you to search it. Like, yeah they don't want you know they don't want you to uh index it.
6: Yeah well the trick is that you just put it all on Google Drive and it will do all the OCR for you. So <laughs> pro tip
7: with the That's a good one. With the FOIA stuff do you feel like you spend a lot of time doing that the old crossword puzzle tactic of of taking a, a keyword from one document that you received and, and making a request with with that keyword.
6: Oh yeah. yeah, that's a common tactic. So I did that one with the, with the Wankworm um, release because like this is a big deal to them. Um, this, is, this is a big incident to NASA that like this touched a lot of their systems and actually uh, the, uh, there's there's enough information. I, I haven't found anything publicly so I'm, I don't want to sound like stupid when I say this, but looking through the um, through the stuff that was just released uh, based on the FOIA that I put in, it says it was a two phase attack. So there were two parts to this attack and um, it, it, it kind of implies that there was like the, that the worm got updated in the middle of it. So this to NASA was an unprecedented level of, uh, this is an unprecedented breach on their part. So the fact that they would release like four pages to me indicated, uh, that said to me that I was doing something wrong. So I kind of looked through here to find out if there was something that, that I had missed. And um, yeah, to, to speak directly to your question, the thing I missed was that I didn't do a request for Space Physics Analysis Network uh, worm incident, which is what the uh, couple of the slides are, are marked with. So they called this, internally they called it SPAN worm incident. So I put in another FOIA request for spanworm incident. Wouldn't you know? It's taking like so much longer to get a, an actual response back on that FOIA, rather than just the original one where they re- released four pages to me.
5: Uh, I was curious, how much like does it cost to like do one of these uh, FOIA requests in like in general?
6: So, so the process is free uh, to to ask the question, but that's the trick. So. The agencies are obligated to uh, provide a certain amount of work hours um, Doing searching for you and also a certain amount of pages uh, in response So another kind of tactic that's used is they will just jam a bunch of shit in there when you ask them for something And they'll be like, oh you wanted to know about you know the word um, hippopotamus or whatever well, we have like 80 million pages of responsive text on this. Um, This is a really bad example, Uh, but they they end up giving you like way more information than you know is relevant to your search so that they can drive the cost up and make it prohibitive to you and to them to provide that. Like there there are all kinds of um, reasonable obligations that they have to meet but anything outside that box they have to charge for, which is why we had to do crowdfunding because some of these releases um, ended up being really expensive even after we tried to narrow it down.
4: I mean, is there a point where they can just go, we've given you a hundred pages, even if it's all you know, debut random, we've given you a hundred pages, surely that's enough? Or do they, is there like an obligation to give you everything?
6: Um, that is a good question that I don't really know how to answer um they they're, they're supposed to give you everything that they don't have an exemption for that fits within your request which which is why you have to time bound it sometimes so if you say like give me everything for the last uh 60 years of your agency's existence first of all it's going to take a long time and second you're probably going to end up with way more stuff than, than is relevant to your request so if you limit it um you should get better results
4: like uh figuring out how to do the best google docs
6: yeah i mean that's that's definitely something you could you could ask about
2: um so what are i guess if you can really answer this what are some of the weirdest things or shocking things that you have found in um, your searches
6: uh weirdest things I, i don't know about weird things so for the hacking history project i haven't found a whole lot that's weird because we're still waiting for a lot of the FOIs to come back um, but there's all kinds of like really odd things that come through freedom of information act requests like um, mysterious pictures of of people who have had the faces blurred out um, that happens a lot in like very old documents um Yeah, that's there's there's all kinds of like weird Hand-drawn pictures and stuff like that don't seem to make a whole lot of sense out of context and then anything that's redacted that comes back That's like kind of nonsensical That stuff gets really confusing Um, but then there's also just a lot of like uh, Like kind of out of context historical information that you kind of have to piece together like there's one thing I'm, I'm thinking of And this is like, this is going to be really vague information because it's really vaguely known, I think. But there was like uh, some discussion uh, in CIA documents about some kind of like uh, flash that was seen over Russia at some point back in the 70s. Oh, yeah. That Yeah. And nobody, still nobody knows what that was, if it was a nuclear test or something else. But like that, that's the kind of thing you find in FOIA documents that you just kind of go like, I have more questions about this but they didn't give me anything the last time I asked. So I, all I can do is ask again.
4: Is there a chance though that uh, it'll be processed by somebody different and that you'll get a different response? Or is it kind of like a, you're going to get what you're going to get every time?
6: You're more or less, you're going to get what you're going to get each time. Um, they're, they're, they're also kind of like, I, I think there there is a human element that comes into it, right? Like. It's at the end of the day. It's all stuff that's being processed by people So like uh, one of the requests that I did for for the woo-woo group Um, which if you're not familiar is spelled w 0 -0 w 0 -0. Um, so when I put the request in Like this gets sent to to somebody who works at fbi and so i'm asking fbi for information in this old hacker older hacking group and um, so they come back and they say Oh, we don't. We don't have anything on on woo woo with W O O W O O, and then I'm like, okay, guys, like you need to actually put it in the way that they did it because that's probably what's in your documentation. So that like little human element does kind of sneak in from time to time.
4: That's funny. Like, uh. like if you think about the members of woo woo moving on into their uh, larger endeavors and businesses that they've built out of that group, the FBI definitely has information uh on oh yeah it's a very well
6: known yeah and and that's what that's why you know as a FOIA researcher i have to go like come on there's i know that you have something on these guys like they're not unknowns i know that you're interested in them at some point so what did i do wrong or what did you do wrong
4: yeah well i mean you know let's you could safely assume that many of them have worked with agencies to in various capacities you know what i mean you know and it's a very old group that had a, ve- a lot of talented people that, you know, moved on in life.
6: Yeah. Yeah. So there's no reason they wouldn't have that they wouldn't have documents. So it's there's there's a lot of revision that goes into it sometimes. And it's all just a matter of like putting it into government speak, which is sometimes harder said than done.
7: Are you ever uh, do you ever have to worry about like one one of the things that I would be concerned about if I received, you know, a heavily redacted document is that it could be redacted in such a way that it's misleading. Is that something you think happens or is that something that you don't even, you know, you don't concern yourself with?
6: I don't worry about that too much um, because like things that are out of context are usually pretty obviously out of context. And so you can't draw, like unless you got a page back that was like, you know, uh, JFK redacted, redacted, killed by redacted, redacted, um, you know, there if, if like, a name of an ident that everyone should know about is redacted. That's kind of weird, but like stuff that's, that's redacted beyond reason is usually pretty obviously like you, you're not going to draw too much conclusion from that.
7: And do you ever see anything that, you know, looks kind of weird or smells funky? Uh,
6: not that often. Uh, The things that, that you, that you kind of stop and and think about are the ones where they don't really want to answer. Um, so if you're getting a, a glomar response in something that like you really they should be answering That kind of makes you wonder What's going on? So like the one that comes to mind there is um, I don't know if you all are familiar with this thing that happened about uh, Two years ago. It's called the sunspot observatory. Do you, does anyone know about that? No, no, okay, so so, like, two years ago, there was this place uh, that the U.S. government ran called the Sunspot Observatory. And they they closed down this, like, very abruptly closed down this research facility that apparently was doing some kind of research on, on sunspots. Um, so abruptly closed this observatory down. And then later on, they said something to the effect of, like, and the, the locals are saying, uh, we're seeing helicopters and, like, Uh, The FBI came in and seized a bunch of stuff and then they didn't tell anybody what was going on So we're not really sure what's happening here. So then the FBI weeks later says, oh, well This is like a child porn investigation and we're taking all of this stuff and that's all we're gonna say about it so I did a Freedom of Information Act request on on that situation just to figure out like Something doesn't seem right about that, right? Like it would make sense that they would seize machines But why would they close the entire? Uh, the entire observatory for weeks based on that. So they, and then what I ended up getting back is like there's pending litigation. So I didn't get any documentation back on that, but this is the kind of thing that like government agencies should be a little bit more uh, conscious of because there are a lot of conspiracy theories about that one particular item. And giving us a Glomar response on it instead of something that's more reasonable is, like, not really a great way to run an operation.
4: I mean, that's that's a very interesting thing that they use, like, because I find that, um, I guess, if you see a lot of politicians and stuff talking about cybersecurity today, you know, they'll often mention things like terrorism, uh, child porn investigations, and, you know, drug dealing on the internet, like, darknet stuff, like, and, and I think they're very easy blanket terms to just be like, like blanket reasoning, just go like, oh, this is an investigation relating to something horrible, um, can't do anything, you know?
6: Yeah, that it does give them very easy cover to say something like that, just kind of make people go like, oh, geez, okay, well, I shouldn't have asked that then.
4: Yeah. And I mean, maybe I'm not saying that that's every case. I'm sure there's plenty of legitimate times that happens, but you know, it's, it is an easy thing.
6: Yeah, for sure.
2: So, um, how can people who are listening here get involved in what you're doing?
6: Um, yeah, I mean, we're, we're always interested in, in taking suggestions that people have about things that maybe we don't know about. Like, uh, I've, I've had a lot of old, uh, like, OG folks who I spent my childhood years looking up to, like, uh, Jesus, like Space Rogue and and Dill Dog and and Death Veggie, and all these people are like talking to me, and and it makes me feel really like weird to be uh, actually having discussions with with these people, <laughs> on like a on 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 their terms and our terms as, as a community of people. Uh, and and they're they've been amazing and very open about things. Uh, That that they're interested in and just you know supportive. So uh, We're always interested in hearing about about things that people want to know about because we're happy to do the FOIA work um, but but i'm always interested in just Giving people the information they need so that they can do this on their own if they're interested like this is this process is great because it's empowering to to individual people and This time is there's not ever going to be a better time to be the kind of person that asks questions of the government than we are in right now, so if you want to get involved, definitely start today.
4: Yeah. Um, something else that's interesting, I guess. Uh, you know, from my perspective, the U.S. FOIA stuff. Uh, do you have to be a U.S. citizen to uh, to put in a request? Uh,
6: I don't think so. Um, yeah. And and that is something that we I guess we didn't really say, but there there are Freedom of Information Act programs, and you know, in a lot of the Western Westernized countries, generally have got a program that's similar that that rolls over. So I know Australia has one, and the UK has one. Um, I don't think that you need to be a citizen of the country to ask the questions and get the answers. Um, but I'm but I'm also not proclaiming to be an expert in in foreign. Uh, a, a, Outside of the U.S. Freedom of Information Act, to be perfectly uh, honest,
4: like I, I had to Google to see if we had one. We do a like, Freedom of Information Act 1982. It's kind of old, yeah. Um, but uh, that might be an interesting place to gather more information on the Wankworm.
6: Yes, um, absolutely.
4: If we were involved, maybe maybe they know something.
6: Yeah, for sure.
5: Well, yeah. So, like, uh, give us, like some links if someone were to want to donate or follow your work with that, uh, where could we find that at?
6: Uh, yeah, so we do have a project that's running on MuckRock. Um, we did a, a crowdfund um, that w- we actually hit the maximum amount of time, which is like 30 days, that we could do on uh, crowdfunding for MuckRock. Um, we can try and open it up. I'm going to try and get that... Uh, Time frame opened up a little bit so that people can donate, but I can definitely provide the link. Um, should I be in a chat right now to provide that, or can I just give that to you guys?
4: Uh, uh people have been
6: passed over. Okay, yeah. sure. A-
4: a- any links you want, we'll, somebody will paste them in for you. Okay, of the multiple chats that people are
6: all right. I'll watching. throw it in there now.
2: Also, shout out to Joe One real quick. I just saw um, Excel. Okay, here we go. So I'll throw this in the chat right now. Um, so yeah, this is awesome. So this is the um, this is the page for your project on up. To.
6: Yeah, and you can you can also see what we've released on there, and um, we also post what we funded uh, and how much it costs. So we like to be transparent about where people's money is going because I think it's shitty to take money and not tell people what we're doing with it. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
7: This is sick we'll any requests, which is cool to see what you're looking at next.
6: Yeah Yeah, but that's like it's it's hard to it's hard to imagine how much it really costs, but um, This this is a totally volunteer project. We don't take personal We don't take money out of what we're given to do anything except pay for the amount of files that we get back so like if you look at that page we have I'm just looking at what we were up to. So like the Lulz sec documents, for instance, are like 7,500 pages and that cost us $220, which, you know, that's that's more than I would be able to fund out of my monthly budget. But it, since we were able to crowdfund it, we were able to fund the entirety of that uh, FBI case file
4: Somewhere in there it'll tell you how long Sabu was a snitch for. <laughs>
6: I don't think that we have one in on Sabu Um, we might and if we do and we get responsive documents I don't even want to imagine how many pages that's going to be
4: (laughs) like every IRC log he's ever had ever
6: right and that's and that's another thing that you can do like another trick that you can do to kind of limit how many pages you get back is like just exclude all of the chat log stuff unless that's what you're interested in
4: yeah, I think chat logs are, um, are quite interesting, specifically after you've sort of um, you know if you've got to know the parties. Uh, when reading a chat log, you can kind of glean a little bit more than maybe what's in a in a final intel report. Right. Interesting, but also you got to sit there and listen to somebody talk about what they had for lunch today. Right. I'll sit there and read what they had for lunch today.
6: Yeah.
5: Well, I'm gonna.
4: I know what I'm doing after this. <laughs> Are you gonna uh, send me a DM on what you had for lunch today? Or? Yeah. Yeah.
5: <laughs> then I'm gonna go FOIA request, begin RSA private key. <laughs>
6: <laughs>
3: oh, my that's
6: a very there there's so much like clever stuff that you could do a Freedom of Information Act on. Uh and there's there are a lot of really talented <laughs> people that are working in this area. It's funny yeah, to be... see the kind of things people put FOIAs in for.
4: That's actually a good point. Like the uh so when I was doing the the ECDSA key recovery stuff, obviously, I came across um, a bunch of curves that uh, were a NIST approved that other cryptographers have said, you know, um, this is a weak, this is a weak curve, like this is terrible. Why is this you know going forward?
6: I mean, people say that to me all the time, but it's not really national security related.
4: Yeah, it's just just interesting to see like you know who was who pushed it forward and whatever. things that you can't get from uh, unless you were there kind of thing maybe until, I guess, without putting in the request.
6: Yeah.
2: Well, this has been awesome. This has been very, very enlightening, and there's a lot of stuff to go over here. This is really cool. Um,
6: thanks yeah, so much I was going to ask your, your listeners, too, um, and I don't know if like they just want to throw it out there. We, we were talking about maybe trying to set up some kind of like uh, transparency village at DEF CON or something. Um, I don't know if there'd be interest for that, but if there is like we'd be happy to The people I'm working with would be happy to put something together just to do outreach or whatever. I don't know how popular that would be
2: I mean, yeah, that'd be, I think that'd be awesome but definitely I would put it out there on Twitter or something and we can see we can what the interest is But that's that kind of stuff is like it's something you don't really think about until you find something that interests you about it And then it becomes very interesting. Right. So I think it's more exposure that you you have the more visibility and the more people working on this, the more, you know, interesting stuff you might find about people that, people that we might know, <laughs> ourselves.
6: Yeah, yeah. yeah, for sure.
2: In, in more ways than one.
6: And, and you are legally able to ask about yourself to any government agency and they have to provide that information unless, of course, they have a national security exemption for it. There are, there are a lot of rules, but that is one that you can do yourself.
4: I wonder. Uh, I wonder how effective it would be against like you know APT groups. I mean, they're obviously national security related, but if there's like some loophole to maybe that uh, threat intel companies are trying to track on their own, that maybe they could borrow some from something else. Or th- somebody else.
6: I think they usually hold that stuff back as operational knowledge.
5: Well, we're going to FOIA request the hacker known as Thug
2: Crowd.
6: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
2: Uh, <laughs> awesome so um yeah thanks again for coming on and um we're about out of time here thanks everybody for hanging out and watching and um thanks to hexadecimate um for coming in and talking to us about everything um yeah does we have any final words before we get going
4: well i think in this case uh getting a lawyer is specifically important they might be able to help <laughs> you uh get some things through
6: lawyer up let's <laughs> skip the first part just get a lawyer also thanks for having I'm- me on I appreciate it.
2: Of course. Oh yeah. Um, and so, is is Twitter the best way to get in contact with you?
6: Uh, yeah, my DMs are open, so you can you can holler at me or you know harass me or whatever. That's fine too.
2: <laughs> I just love how Zero is just throwing Shodan dorks into the uh, chat always. <laughs> Uh, yes, you might have to recruit him for uh, for <laughs> Dork Team Six over here. Um, Dork, team yeah, so six. everybody, uh, everybody here, um, if you guys don't remember from the beginning of the show, if you are interested in helping out with our IoT CTF, um, whether it be infrastructure, virtualization, or actually coding um, bots and exploits, um, please hit us up on Twitter. Our DMs are open so at thugcrowd. Um, If you want to get involved in that, that's our big project of, I guess, like the rest of the year, probably until November, whatever the first Saturday in November is, is when we're doing it. Um, It's for charity and it looks great on your resume to say that you built a botnet for the kids. So uh, yeah, we will, uh, (laughs) we'll see you then. All right. um, Peace. Peace.